Blog Talk Radio. More live fantasy sports radio than anyone on the planet. Seven continuous hours of football, baseball, basketball, and hockey action each Monday through Friday. Plus seven hours of game day frenzy on Sunday. 30 shows in all from the best fantasy sportscasters in the business. Like Craig Davis of FantasyFootball.com, the audible Cecil Lammy, Paul Greco of Melnick and Greco Fantasy Sports, and the fantasy football guys Lyle Conkiel and Kevin Moore. The Fantasy Sports Channel, only on Blog Talk Radio. It's a schedule you can bet on. and Michael Trent. Scott and Mike and their versatility bring new light to many topics in and out of the world of fantasy sports. Guests can reach the show by calling 347-324-5404. Red vs. Blue Sports Talk Radio, where Planet Red and Big Blue Nation collide. Let's hope they're still friends afterwards. Here they are, Scott and Mike. the show little glory days with our good friend bruce the boss hey i hope you guys enjoyed the super bowl 43 as much as i did i'm your host scott atkins live from indianapolis this is red versus blue sports talk radio wherever you may be thanks for making us part of your night as always this show is live raw uncut uncensored and in your face tonight as always i'm joined by my big blue co-host from brandenburg kentucky Mr. Michael Trent, Mike, I've got What's you that, here. Scott? Was that the best drive in a Super Bowl we've ever seen? I'll tell you what, it seems like every Super Bowl gets better and better all the time. Uh, it's just, it's fun to watch each and every one of them. I, I thought last year with uh, New England and the Giants, I, that, it, that was great, but this year it was even better, and it just gets better and better all the time, Scott. Well, I'll tell you, that, that Super Bowl is up for a lot of discussion about uh, the best drive uh, that we saw there at the end, uh, the, the the drive that Roethlisberger and, and Holmes put together on 
just a, a, a marching 78 yards and eight plays, capped by the San Antonio home six-yard touchdown to win Super Bowl 43. And, uh, of course, at the end of the first half, we had a, a, a play that could be very well be the best play we've ever seen in a Super Bowl, potentially a 14-point swing, if not at least a 10, Mike. They were going to get a field goal regardless. Uh, Jim nah. Harrison with the touchdown. You know what? I saw him intercept it, and uh, I was thinking, okay, well, he's intercepted, no problem. Uh, of course, I was kind of rooting for Arizona. I got to be, you know, admit I was partial. And uh, then I saw him rumbling, stumbling, as Chris Berman would say. But next thing I know, I, I was looking at the clock, and the clock said zero when he hit about the uh, twenty-yard line. And I was thinking, somebody tackle him, please. Yeah. And he was able to make it in. He he's not the uh, defensive NFL defensive player of the year for uh, for nothing. I mean he he made it happen. And uh, but uh, it was uh, it, it was a weird play that kind of turned things. But you know what, Scott? That could have made things catastrophic for Arizona, but they didn't make it happen catastrophic. They came back in the third quarter and the fourth quarter and made things happen. And that's what I like about Arizona and what they did in the in the Super Bowl. That was that was awesome. Well, I don't know about the third quarter. I thought the third quarter with three whole points scored was kind of like a snooze fest, but I tell you what, that fourth quarter is another award that I could give it the, the you know, the best quarter of Super Bowl uh, I've seen in quite some time. Uh, you know, Arizona put up 16 points Fitzgerald when he when he came across the middle with that touchdown, it was just a beautiful play. Seeing the look uh, that he had on his face as he's as he's watching the big screen and watching his highlight, his Super Bowl dream come true, going up with that touchdown, that 64-yard catch and run. Uh, he finished the day with seven catches, 127 yards, and two touchdowns. If you didn't know that he's arrived, you know now. And uh, I know I've seen some already. We're going to talk a little bit of uh, first-round mock fantasy drafts for next year to get everybody's blood going. Uh, but uh, if he's not the undisputed uh, number one wide receiver, uh, you know, right there with Andre Johnson, I don't know who is, but uh, Kurt Warner uh, at his A game. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, Scott, I totally agree. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald, he has solidified himself as the premier wide receiver in the game. There is no way that anybody can do what he has done in the postseason knowing what he needs to do and just, just – Flat out getting it done. Uh, the guy just shows up and uh, and gets it done day in and day out. And in the postseason, when it's so tough, when you know the game is on the line, uh, he'll do it. We also got a lot of action in the chat room, guys. And if you want to join the show, feel free to join at 347 we got the prognosticator in there, Dr. Dish, and a couple of guests, as usual, uh, just in the chat and uh, liven things up. Come on in, and, and make sure you log in and rate our show and give us that rating and that feedback that we need to uh, keep the show pumping and featured on the FantasySportsChannel.com. Mark Ronick and those guys always bringing us live, uh, streaming us live on iTunes Radio. Uh, we can be found there as well, and you can download us uh, to your podcast, uh, weekly podcast, uh, just Go to your iTunes and uh, subscribe to the podcast from our Blog Talk Radio homepage. And then uh, every week, go to your iTunes and uh, right-click and get the update. And your iTunes will be able to have that streamed and ready to go. You can take that with you uh, on your iPod or MP3 player. 
Uh, back to that Super Bowl, uh, Mike. Kurt Warner, 31 for 43, a magical performance again for Kurt. 377 yards and three touchdowns. I find myself just rooting for the guy, man. I'm I, I, I'm not a huge Kurt Warner fan, but when you when you see the guy just doing what he does, uh, man, it's hard not to like him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Scott. It, it it's amazing. He, he he steps in and he does what needs to be done, and then. When it comes to crunch time, especially in the second half, then it's like, okay. And he pinpointed passes left and right, left and right. He used Breston a lot. You yeah. know, people forgot about Breston, and uh, he used to keep Breston a lot. And this guy has so many tools at his disposal as far as yeah. uh, Breston and uh, Fitzgerald. And it won't be Bowden next year, but – Another one will emerge, and so many that he can use. And he was talking about retirement, and I don't, I'm not going to buy that. I'm not going to buy that. He's going to come back with this team, and they have a, uh, even though they're losing Haley, which we, we might touch on here in a little bit, but they're losing Haley, but they still got a solid, solid team. So I, I see, uh, I see Kurt Warner coming back and, uh, you know, teaching Matt, Matt, Matt Liner, say, hey, that's the way it's done. Yeah. Well, and that, that eventual day is coming. It is Matt Leinart. Uh, they're going to groom him and at least give him a shot when that day happens. We don't know what he'll do with that shot. Uh, but if he's still there for another year or so with Warner uh, at the helm, then, you know, he'll eventually get his shot. But you were right on uh, Fitzgerald. He did get his touchdown. I think that was one of your uh, predictions there that you were pretty confident about. And, you know, I, I predicted yeah. a big day for Bolden. I, I predicted eight or nine catches for about 130 yards, and he was well on his way to that. And, just kind of uh, they just switched in the second half and started going to fits. But Bolden ended up with eight catches for 84 yards. And then uh, your Steve Breston, while he didn't get a touchdown, he was heavily involved, six catches for 71 yards. Let's turn the ball over here to the Pittsburgh Steelers. We've got to give them credit where credit is due. They're the winners of this game, and for some reason we get stuck on talking about the Cardinals because I think they were the feel-good story. But what a drive by Santonio Holmes and Roethlisberger. Uh, Roethlisberger made play after play. He's a magician back there in in the pocket. Now, there were a couple of bad calls there, Mike. Uh, you know, I could have swore that there was an intentional grounding call there. And, and <laughs> you know, it just didn't seem yeah. to be getting the, the flags the way of the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, you know what, Scott? They, you know, there were questionable calls, but in a game like that, you put the flag in your pocket. You let the guys play the game and see what happens. Uh, I've heard differing stories uh, like, well, they should have called this on Arizona. They should have called this on Pittsburgh. But the bottom line is I thought that it was a pretty well, you know, officiated game because this is one game where there are 96 cameras, 96 cameras every single angle each and every one of them. You know, yeah. in your average 1 o'clock or 4 o'clock game in October, you get maybe three, four angles. So the referees, I thought, did a fair job. Not great, but a fair job. But in the stage they were put on, I thought they didn't do too bad. So it, it's, it, it's kind of tough to tell, Scott, uh, but bottom line um, – you know, Pittsburgh and what they did, Ben Roethlisberger just impresses the heck out of me. He just, uh, he looked he looked like a, a right-handed Steve Young, only much bigger. 
just moving around in that pocket just because Arizona was wearing him down. They were starting to really wear him down, and uh, but he still was able to find the angle, and uh, especially that uh, throw to Holmes. But uh, even little dinks and dunks to uh, Heath Miller, uh, ready to get things done. And it was it was a impressive performance by uh, Ben. I was thoroughly impressed, Scott. Well, and. I think Roethlisberger cemented himself as as uh, just a, a great quarterback that uh, you know two Super Bowl titles in five years. I mean, what more can you ask for from this guy? You know, um, yeah. The, the, the plays that's, that he made over else. and over again. He's elusive. He, he doesn't go down easy. He just sits back there and fires it away. And this San Antonio Holmes man, he has really shown that you know he is a, a, a legit talent when it comes to the NFL and, and uh, you know, Big Ten talent doesn't it, does it again in the Super Bowl. I know Plaxico did it uh, last year for Michigan State, and now you've got Santonio Holmes uh, from the Ohio State yeah. uh, pulling off a, a huge day. Nine receptions, 131 yards, and a touchdown. That drive was just uh, impossible. Uh, that catch there at the end, the tiptoe, I mean, does that uh, – I know we, we, we were talking before the show, Mike. We, we talked about um, the Giants wide receiver from last year. Um, you had his name. Made the big. No, it wasn't Hicks. It wasn't Hicks. It was. Well, we've got Alex on here. Maybe he can uh, tell us who that Giants wide receiver was. Well, you know, those are two great catches in in, in Super Bowls and clutch moments that uh, mean so much for either team. And to be able to do that in the stage, in the biggest stage of all time. I mean, let's face it. I mean, put the Chicken fingers down, turn the TV all the way up. This is the biggest stage. And, uh, David, for, David uh, Tyree was the receiver. David Tyree. David Tyree. David Tyree. And, Does uh, that catch you know, measure up to the San Antonio Holmes catch measure up to that I don't, catch by San Antonio Holmes? I don't think so. I don't think so. The reason being is because the Giants needed that for a first down to continue and uh, keep on moving. Is that a third down play or a fourth down play? I think it was a fourth down play. Wow. So yeah, and that was that, that was elusive. That was elusive on not just uh, so that was a quarterback and wide receiver making a play, and it was third down. Uh, Alex is our is our Giants fan here. He, he was saying it was third, a third down play by it? Eli. Okay. So he was getting drugged down, and then he made the miracle catch uh, on the helmet. Whereas Roethlisberger. Kind of had his time back there to sit around, dance around, and then put the ball right where well, he needed to be. No, now wait a second, Scott. He he had to move around. I mean, he went left, he went right, and then uh, he threw into triple coverage. Yeah, yeah that's In the true. corner of the end zone, not only was it a perfect pass, but a perfect catch. It was just a perfect play. And, and it's uh, a touchdown. You know, so Tyrese, Tyrese wasn't a touchdown. So you've got to give Holmes his credit here. I mean, that was a tiptoe catch. We've seen it kind of like by Terry Glenn in some of the games, but in the biggest game, on the biggest stage, at the biggest moment, at the end, they need a touchdown to come back. A field goal is not going to do it. You get the touchdown in the corner of the end zone, over three guys. Man, that I don't know how you can't give that the, 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 the best it, catch in the Super Bowl. It, it's pretty strong, but if, if you go back, you can see a lot of uh, a lot of different catches in Super Bowls. Uh, Len Swan, Len Swan made a dynamic catch against my Dallas Cowboys, and it just you know you can go over and over and over them. Uh, this one is definitely in the top five. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know the way he, he just 
tiptoe and and it, it looked like uh, that John Madden and uh, Al Michaels they were looking for a reason to find why he didn't make that catch. And mm-hmm. I, I remember hearing John Madden go, "That's a catch. I don't care what. That's a catch. That's good." <laughs> yeah, but uh, it was it, it, it was pretty awesome. Well, and we like that uh, that that new uh, vision cam there, that NBC it. Uh, that that gave us a real close look at those toes and just to see if they got in and uh, man what what a play but you know then you also got the the big play in the end of the in the end of the first half I, I mean I'm telling you I I think that could be the biggest play in Super Bowl history because it's the end of the second half first half time would have expired for the most part uh, had there not been that penalty uh, on on Arizona but you know for the most part in in that game if it's not a field goal or just a simple turnover that second that first half is over. And it's still a close game. It's anybody, anybody's ball game at that point. And James Harrison catches the ball, runs it back. You know, it's emotional. Fitz drags him down at the end. But uh, that could be very well be the biggest play ever in a Super Bowl. And then, obviously, what he did in the second half, uh, James Harrison, well, defensive MVP in the NFL, that's just despicable. And, and Madden was right. He should have been thrown out. Well, I totally agree. It you know, I try to take up for the guy just because he is the NFL Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, what happened in the in the first half for that run back uh, that 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 hurt Arizona so bad. I mean, they were driving and they were ready, like you said, to get at least three, put something on the board, going halftime feeling good, and then when you get a uh, when you get a hundred yard uh, return, that's a dagger. I mean, that's a dagger. I mean, that's got to hurt so bad. And then what Harrison did uh, on uh, on the player for Arizona, can't remember his name, but it. I mean, that's inexcusable. That doesn't belong. Uh, but yeah, that kid was getting beat all day, but it's no excuse. No, no none at all. None at all. And uh, it just, uh, you know, it, it stinks. For that type of play to happen, because me being a Kentucky fan, I keep bringing up Amino Timberlake and things like that. But bottom line is, uh, you know, it, it doesn't belong on the field, and uh, just just don't do it, Harrison. Just don't do it, Harrison. I know you're listening. I know you're listening. Just don't do it again, buddy. Join us at 347-324-5404. You can join us in the live chat room, or you can come on and join us, and you can talk about uh, the Super Bowl and what the best and biggest plays were of that game. Uh, you know, we have some folks in the in the chat room saying that that uh, Super Bowl had more huge plays than any Super Bowl they can remember, and I and I some I think I agree with that. Uh, you know, I think that Carolina New England game uh, back with the Deshaun Foster. Uh, uh, play and the Steve Smith plays. Those guys were dynamic playmakers, and of course, New England on the other side of the ball. They had some plays that game, but uh, uh, man, I, I have to agree there were there were there were quite a few big plays. That Fitzgerald play was as emotional of a play as I've ever been a, been experienced in, in my years. Uh, seeing him do that with Warner from the other end and Bolden and everybody celebrating, uh, it, it was just one of those games made you feel good about the NFL and where it's going and where it's been and. Uh, man, I'm already looking forward to next year, and, and, and they've already got the Patriots as the, as the, as the favorite uh, to win it all. And what did uh, the Patriots wasted absolutely no time in using uh, – they had, they had one day to exercise the franchise options, and on the first day they, they go ahead and, 
and take care of business with Matt Castle uh, franchise. And that franchise tag is guaranteed a $14.6 million one-year tender. Now, that doesn't mean they still can't trade him. Matter of fact, I, I'm still thinking that they are going to – that they do move him if Brady looks good. I, I still think it's a wise move. But it counts uh, It counts uh, under the cap in a certain way. I'm not too schooled on, on how that works. But um, I think – you know, Scott, from what I understand, they're going to uh, franchise him, and uh, there may be a good possibility he will go to Kansas City. Uh, even though Tyler's big fan is looking pretty good, uh, you know, if the money's right, because Kansas City is way underneath the uh, salary cap, especially since uh, LJ is, you know, he's unhappy there. Um, Tony Gonzalez, he's unhappy there. That could free up some money if, if they want to go in the direction of uh, Castle instead of a uh, big fan. Well, and Kansas City hired former Patriots vice president and player personnel, Scott Fioli, uh, as their GM just a few days uh, or a couple weeks ago. And uh, I think he was huge in that decision, making the decision on drafting Castle. So I could see that kind of reunion there. And uh, I, I guess that you know that may spell, spell the end for uh, what uh, what was going on there with Thigpen. I mean, I, I thought Thigpen was a pretty good uh, player there, and uh, but 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 I think this was more of a a backup cautionary move for for, for New England uh, so that they don't have to lock up so much cash this year. You know, you've got you've got Brady, and and, and rather than lock in spending nearly thirty million on one position, if you factor in Brady's salary next season, uh, I, I think they're likely to trade Castle. Um, but uh, that way, they don't have to. Uh, you know, settle in on on one player for a season to buy him a little bit more time and negotiate a a, a longer term deal there. But uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But it is interesting to see the Patriots already making moves like that. And Castle is one of those feel good stories too that uh, that we that we like to hear. I, I, I see also the Lions are a possibility, and maybe the Jets. You know, with uh, Favre, I, I heard. Um, oh, who's our guy on ESPN? Mortensen. Today on the radio, he said that uh, he's been saying it for quite some time now that Favre has played his last game, and uh, so I, I guess he's. Uh, when you hear it from the Mort, I mean, you almost think it to be true. He's but, pretty uh, solid. Yeah, especially on those inside on those inside deals. Now, not necessarily on the game time decisions. I know he's been wrong on quite a few of those, but yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know. When I heard it from the Mort, I said, "Well, I guess, I guess, you know, it's time." Uh, you know, it just it just wasn't working out, and. I don't know, man. I'd be kind of, I'd be kind of fearful if I was far back there with Thomas Jones talking about how I'm not a team player. I mean, is he going to block for me? Are they going to, are they going to take care of me when I'm, when I'm back there? You know, and so I, I can say, I mean, if I'm not wanted, fine, I'll go somewhere else. And I thought they kind of turned on him. I, I didn't see Favre turning on him, although I wasn't there in the locker room. But to hear what he was saying about, you know, Favre not being part of the team, you know, it kind of bothered me a little bit. But that's Favre. You know, you're, you're coming into a situation where, you know, the tractors aren't on. <laughs> out there outside the stadium and you know you got a lot of celebrities there you're a big star and i don't know it might, i'm sure it well to you know what well another thing scott when when times are good they're good like when they beat new england i mean yeah. you didn't hear much of anything i mean everything was rosy you know and like, all right man we we played a great game we played a great game you know and uh you know when you get uh grizzled veterans going through things and uh like Brett Favre, uh, you don't know. Uh, I think Brett Favre has been a great quarterback in the NFL. Obviously, he's NFL material or uh, um, Hall of Fame material. Hall of Fame material, yeah. Say, yeah. Without question. 
but, you know, you get other younger guys, they're like, you know, they're going to buy into what he has to say, but when things go bad, he's got to step up too. And I don't know if Brett Favre does that. And I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb right now and say, I don't think Brett Favre's, I don't think he steps up to the plate when things go bad. Well, well, I don't want to turn this into a Brett Favre show. We we'll we'll definitely uh get get our uh, our, our our Brett Favre talks when 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 that decision comes out. I'm sure it'll be here in the next couple of weeks. We just got so much going on in the world of sports. We're going to break down some of the predictions for the first round uh in in fantasy drafts. A lot of the high stakes players are already talking on the FFPC message boards about the first round. And your, what is your first round predictions? If you'd like to join the discussion, I want to encourage you yeah. to go to www.theffpc.com. Uh, the message boards are already uh, lighting up, and the, and the big-time players, we're talking about the guys that are playing for a million dollars. We're talking about the guys that are winning $100,000, $300,000 uh, a year in these contests, the guys that are ponying up several grand to play in each contest and, and going for six, seven, ten grand uh, for the league prizes and then going on for the big prizes. These are the guys that are already talking about what the first round looks like, and, and you can be a part of that at theffpc.com. That's the Fantasy Football Players Championship. And, and we've got a special guest uh, tonight, uh, the founder of the Fantasy Football Players Championship, uh, Alex Kaganowski joins us, uh, our prognosticator for the Super Bowl. Alex, how are you? Hey, what's up, guys? What's up, Alex? All right, Mike. Alex, it's always good to hear from you, my man. And uh, we're just talking because today, uh, one of the guys, uh, Dave Turp, uh, he put up a, put up a post about uh, the top twelve next season, and and it really started generating that buzz, man. That that usually doesn't happen this early, but I think because we had such a good Super Bowl, and uh, we've got a real good core group of guys over at the FFPC, uh, it's not gonna it's gonna be kind of hard to keep us from talking about this first round. Yeah, I also think that um, I think this is going to be a year, and I don't know, maybe maybe we say this every year, but it sure seems like this is going to be a year where you may have about 20 guys that could be interchangeable in that you know top 12, uh, and at least this early it seems that way because uh, when uh, Dave uh, Terp uh, put up his top 12, I mean he left out guys like. Maurice Jones, Drew, and Westbrook, and you know I'm sure someone else will put up their uh, top 12, and they'll leave a couple of guys that you know someone else will scratch their head and say, hey, how could that be? And, and I think right. you know this is going to be one of those years. Well, and it's interesting because Terp, uh, I didn't even I didn't even really put him in there, but to see Randy Moss back in the first round again, thinking that uh, that, that Tom Brady's back, uh, you know it makes sense to put Moss back in there, but I. I kind of like to see that positive momentum with my first 12 picks rather than, than putting somebody in that needs some help. And LT, there's no positive momentum there at all. So some of those picks are kind of tough for me to get behind. But the consensus looks to be early picks uh, are the Adrian Petersons, the Matt Fortes, and then uh, my guy, which I took a lot of heat for off the bat, uh, my number one pick. And, Mike, you guessed it. Uh, earlier today I said I put my top 12. Who do you think my number one guy was? And you guessed it. Uh, Michael Turner. Yeah. Yeah, I tell you what, Michael Turner. Uh, he he's going to be a stud for you if you can get him. Uh, there's just a lot of different picks because uh, the running back uh, the running back field I think has 
kind of softened quite a bit because uh, LT, you know, is LT and uh, Adrian Peterson and, you know, but it softened quite a bit. But I'm not saying that it softened to the fact that uh, you can't get a ton of points. You're going to get 20, 25 points out of uh, Michael Turner every week. If uh, if if Matt Ryan and that offense and everything goes well with Atlanta, so I mean that looks pretty good for them. Well, Dave, uh, the other co-founder of the FFPC, was quick to mention and 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 bring up the fact that Michael Turner uh, only had six catches in his uh, in his year in Atlanta, six receptions, and in these PPR leagues. Uh, you know, it really depends on those pass-catching quarterbacks like uh, the, the, the Brian Westbrooks and, you know, the Frank Gores and MJDs, those guys that are always catching those balls. And, Alex, when, when Turner's only getting six catches, I think you, you found some interesting statistics that may back up the fact that, that he'll have a hard time repeating that performance. Well, yeah, I, typically I charge for this, for this type of information, but, <laughs> uh, but I'll give it away for free. Um, I believe uh, – other than Sean Alexander in 2005, where when he had that monster year, 27 touchdowns, uh, he finished first, I believe, in all uh, formats, whether it's point per reception or not. Uh, other than him, uh, there has been zero, that is none, uh, no running backs that have finished in the top three in point per reception leagues uh, since the year 2000. Uh, and the, the only reason why I use 2000 is because I just wasn't able to to go back further statistically. I'm sure, I'm sure that statistics hold statistic holds up even beyond that. So, uh, so I, as, so Sean Alexander scored 27 touchdowns, but he, he caught under. He's the only back that has caught under 20 balls to finish in the top three in PPR scoring. Correct. Correct. What did Turner finish last year? Uh, I, I believe in, he was fourth in PPR. Okay. Okay, I could have swore he was up there pretty high. So, well, he was, he was, and, and the reason why he was fourth or third, he was either fourth or third. No, no, he wasn't. He wasn't third. He was fourth because if he was third, then I would have mentioned him as being the second, um, uh, the second running back to do that. But uh, the reason why he was fourth, he would have been even lower, maybe uh, in a different year. Uh, but since the top three running backs did not uh, score as much as they typically do, I mean, you, you didn't have the the huge 350, 360-point running backs, um, uh, you only had, I think, the top guys only scored right around 300. Um, so so he was close to the top three. But typically, uh, a guy who, let's say, rushes for 1,600 yards, doesn't catch any balls, and scores 15, 16 touchdowns, you know, he's not going to be close to the top three in point per reception leagues. Now, Alex, do okay. we do, what do we do? We look at how many weeks do we look at when we're when we're talking about a ranking? Are you going this regular season, or how do you do playoffs, or how far do, how far is the typical standard here? Uh, you, you mean as far as ranking uh, for the upcoming year? I, I just yeah. Uh, me personally, I start off just uh, you know lining them up, uh, uh, just my general opinion, uh, and then when it gets really close to draft time, then I start to break it down as far as. You know, my drafting for the regular season for the, you know, for the first eleven or twelve or thirteen weeks or whatever the case may be. Oh, I, I see. No, I, I meant, I meant when we're ranking our running backs and we're saying he was the number one ranked running back. How many weeks do we count their performance? Do we go oh. all the way to sixteen weeks or thirteen or twelve or what? No, I, I typically at this point of the at this time of the year, I already I'm looking at the whole season. 
you're looking at all all 16 weeks. Yes, yes. Every okay, game. so so if we go by 16 week performance, it looks like Turner was the sixth running back using FFPC scoring. Oh, um, he was. Yeah, with Westbrook ahead of him, Thomas Jones, MJD, number two D Will, and number one Matt Forte. Well, hold on a second. Is that is that points per game or is that total points? That's total points. Really? I thought. See, I yeah. thought he was four. So he was even lower, which proves my point even more that yeah. uh, when you don't catch balls, you you really don't score in point per reception leagues. Yeah, it just seemed like uh, from the playoffs there, seeing what he did in, in the playoffs, I kind of that that kind of carries over a little bit for me. I would probably bring Thomas Jones down a little bit. You know, there's those kind of things that you well, start your wheels start turning. D'Angelo with Stewart maybe going up. D'Angelo comes down a little bit, and you know. Well, I got a question for you guys. Uh-huh. Um, is LT done? I mean, let's face it. He's got to uh, he's got to rehab his injury and get over the growing, get over the things that he's went through. I mean, the last two years he's been hurt. Uh, the guy's approaching 30, which we all know in the NFL, 30 is kind of the death watch for a running back. Is LT yeah. done? Uh, you, well, you have to qualify that question. Is he done as a as a top-flight running back? Probably so. Is he, I mean, yeah. Uh, is he, is yeah. he done? Uh, is he done as a first-round pick? Probably not. Uh, I can't see him. You know, if he's in a good situation, whether it's San Diego or whether – you know, if you go somewhere else as as a you know unquestionable starting running back, I'm pretty sure that you know people are still going to look at him as uh, as a first rounder. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, Maybe he does I think pull. I think it's just a little bit too early. I think we need a little a lot more time to to answer that question and and to see how he re- heals from that uh, injury. But I guess we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. We do want to talk a little bit about that first round. But uh, Alex, we also want to talk about those Super Bowl props. Uh, you were there for us all year. You, all the loyal listeners, uh, you know, were there and 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 made a killing. I don't know if that information is going to be free next year or not. But uh, and the FFPC boards, we enjoyed a lot of a lot of top plays all throughout the year. How did you do in the Super Bowl props? I did pretty good. I actually did very good. Um, I threw a couple of uh, long shots there, a couple of plus three hundred, plus three twenty-five plays, which uh, did not come in. But you know that's that's the type of play that you're, you you kind of expect to lose. Right. So I kind of you know scratch those you know scratch those off. But you know as far as like the the the, the regular props, I think I hit them at a nice seventy five to eighty percent clip. Um, Good clip. I gotta congratulate Mike though because Mike called that defensive yeah. touchdown for uh, for Pittsburgh, and that was a good call yep. right there. Yeah. Oh, the defensive yeah, touchdown. One of those lucky plays, I guess. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I I looked at about three or four different props, and uh, I, that was one that I looked at, and I was like, I like that, I like that. Yeah, well, they well, also had the the safety was paying like fifty to one, right? I mean, no, no, the safety the safety usually is around like eight to ten to one, Scott. Oh, okay. I I yeah. swore I saw a big big number on the safety that came through. No, no, it's like uh, uh, I think the fifty to one is. Is like if the first score is a safety or a tie I mean, overtime yeah. game, yeah, yeah, something like that. But um, but yeah, the safety is really not a good. I mean, eight to one for safety is typically not a good play, but it came in. You know, I had a couple. You of, did I good, had, Alex. I did good. Uh, I my the the one that I was <laughs> the one that I lost. The, I think the second play of the game was um, Hines Ward with under twenty one and a half reception. Uh, 21 and a half yards for his first reception. I think he got the 38-yarder on the second play of the game, I think it was. Um, 
and and that's the one I gave it to you guys on the air. The funny yeah. thing is, uh, is that I actually didn't put that play in. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember I remember seeing that that Heinz Ward took that uh, that big play right there. I said, well, there goes that one. But uh, well, we had a lot of fun this last year, Alex, and I know you guys have got uh, a lot of plans over at the FFPC uh, this year and. Like, like I said to everybody else, I, I, you guys need to, uh, if you're a fan of fantasy football and you want to talk it year-round, there's guys on that board uh, that will talk just about any topic with you about fantasy football to keep the uh, juices flowing. And uh, Including, you, guys, including uh, you, Scott. Oh, yeah, I'll be there, and uh, not as much as I'd like to be right now, but uh, it, it, things pick up for me uh, after the, the spring comes and the business slows down a little bit, but... Um, I'll definitely be back on, and uh, I know you've got a lot of announcements that you're going to hold close to the vest, and hopefully we can have you back on, and, and you can talk about those as you roll those out in the off season for all the all the guys that want to play uh, your high stakes event this year. So, yeah, we're we're, we're gonna uh, Dave and I are gonna uh, finalize a lot of our decision making and uh, some new things that we have planned. Uh, you know, we've announced some, we haven't announced some other things, and uh, we'll probably start to. Uh, uh, to really start to roll right around uh, the draft time, uh, April April 25th, I believe, we'll probably start to really, really get get going at that time. That's when people begin to wake up, kind of a little bit after the the, the three month hibernation. Well, it sounds like a blast. Hey, man. Well, I'll definitely be back. And uh, Alex, I, I just want to say that uh, we we've enjoyed you having you on the show, and uh, just uh, enjoyed your insight your insight, and I can't wait to meet you, man. Sounds good, Mike. Good talking to you the whole year, and you too, Scott. All right, that was Alex Kaganowski of VFFPC.com, uh, always joining us with his player props and uh, prognostications, uh, bringing bringing us uh, all the action throughout the year. And uh, I'll tell you, man, we we made quite a killing this year uh, following him, and i just like to piggyback those picks. And I've heard some rumors that those might not be free this next year, but uh, I'll tell you, I, I, they, they'd be worth a, a pretty penny to me uh, for uh, – for the value there. It's it's always those value plays that you sometimes you just can't see and, and Alex has a knack for finding those. So we're gonna take a quick fifteen second break and we'll be right back. More live fantasy sports radio than anyone on the planet. Seven continuous hours of football, baseball, basketball, and hockey action each Monday through Friday. Plus seven hours of game day frenzy on Sunday. The Fantasy Sports Channel. Only on Blog Talk Radio. It's a schedule you can bet on. Sports Talk Radio. The phone number is three four seven three two four five four zero four. Mike, uh, I know you were a big fan of that halftime performance when the boss uh, did his uh, did his set there. Uh, what did you think about 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 that opening set? Well, I tell you what, I've been a big Bruce Springsteen fan for. Uh, let's see, since 1985, and uh, the first time I went and saw him, I went with uh, three other people, and I said, who's opening up? And they said, well, nobody. And I, I said, nobody's opening up? And they were like, no. Okay. Four hours later, I understood. The guy puts on a freaking show. The 12-minute show that you saw in half, at halftime of the Super Bowl it's just a micro. It's just a smidget of what you're going to see of Bruce Springsteen concert. I'm not plugging Bruce, but well, yeah, I am. But uh, it was it was awesome, and 
you know, it, it's hard to fill in uh, what he wants to do. But uh, he talked about glory days, and uh, there was no way that Born in the USA was going to be done. I knew that from the get-go. Yeah. Well, but, we've, had, uh, we've had a lot of fun, and, men, we're, we're, we're going to bring on uh, Dr. Dish so we can uh, get his doctor! Tonight. Hey, Doctor Dish. We're gonna we're gonna before we before we jump to Red versus Blue in Louisville and Kentucky. We want to talk uh, get a, get your thoughts a little bit on these. Uh, I know you're a fantasy player and an avid uh, avid fantasy football fanatic here. Uh, some of these picks here, I took a lot of flack, man. I posted my top twelve, and uh, I'm gonna read it off here to you. But uh, okay. my my number one pick was Michael Turner because of that 377 carries. I I, I just I'm a, you, you see that many touches. I know he only had six receptions, but you know what? Uh, if you're missing out on 15 points here or there, you know, he can get that 15 points back on, what, 30 carries? So, you know, he's got so many more touches than the, than the average running back here. Uh, he's, he seems to me like the safest play on the board with a, with a potent offense, an offense that's only going to get better. He's my yeah, number okay. one pick as of February 6th. Uh, 2009. My number two pick is MJD. With or without Fred Taylor, MJD wow. is my guy. And uh, I tell you what, he's just he's just one of those guys that you can count on. Last year, he was the number three running back in all of the fantasy sports with Fred Taylor in a timeshare. So he's showing you that he's no fluke, and uh, he's somebody that would I'd be proud to anchor my squad anytime. And if Fred Taylor's not there, he's my unquestioned number one. Uh, number three, Adrian Peterson. Uh, you know, he's the only other guy that I really considered as my number one pick just because, I mean, hey, he's just a dominant a dominant force. And I guess that Chester Taylor thing and the questionable quarterback thing kind of keeps me from putting him up at number one, and I've got him at number three. Uh, and then I, then I finish up, and I'll just run him off real quick. Matt Forte is my number four just because I can't put a first-year guy, somebody that I've only seen one year from, I can't put him uh, as my number one. Let me see him another year, then I can do it. I've got Brian Westbrook, Chris Johnson, Stephen Jackson, D'Angelo Williams. If Warner's back, i got Larry Fitzgerald up there, Marion Barber, Frank Gore, and I round out my top 12 with Andre Johnson. What do you think about that, Dish? Well, I like Chris Johnson more than you like him. I tell you, that he looks like the future really? of Tennessee to me. Um, and I think I'd give him more credit. I think Adrian Peterson, myself, would be the first pick. Yeah. From the from the people I play with, you know, that's what. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Well, I left a lot of I, 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 I left a lot of guys off there. I left Reggie Bush off. Reception. Yeah, in a point he, for reception a, league, I think you tend to go for some of these other guys like you uh, picked. Like I like Matt Forte a lot too. He showed me a lot this year, and he just kept getting better all year. That team needs a lot though. You know, if they could ever get a quarterback, it could depend on you know. Yeah, and I like I said, I left off Reggie Bush. I think he he represents extreme value when he's healthy, but. You know, left I, LT I out at first round, huh? Oh yeah, left LT out. I got I got to see what's going on with him, and before I can put him up there, you know, it's hard to believe uh, them guys. You know, LT was a, the, the top of the top pick for how many years there? You know, with him, right. and, uh, uh, Sean Alexander, and they just kind of fell off the picture. Oh, you left yeah. one out too, Washington. Washington uh, running back, Clint uh, Portis. Portis, yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, I left out Portis, Adai, Thomas Jones, Brandon oh, Jacobs, Marshawn Lynch, oh, LT Slayton. Larry Johnson and, and Darren Sproles, uh, obviously, if he gets uh, the starting job be another San good Diego. That, that team there, for doubt, I, I, they've been impressing me more and more. They, they're gonna, they keep getting good players and just keep rounding out that roster every year. Uh, this may be a – I mean, they may make the playoffs next year. <laughs> they can start out better this year. 
coming year. Hey, if Atlanta can make the playoffs, anybody can. I agree. I mean, the big turnaround Atlanta made, I can see that happening with them Houston Texans, too. I think that's just. And then you've got. Is there going to be an impactful quarterback? Yeah. Um, well, you got those. An impactful teams. quarterback that could come in like Matt Ryan did. Yeah, or like Matt Castle. Maybe they could get yeah, I like Matt Ryan did. If they made him a franchise player, you could trade him, though. You know, and I'm glad to hear that, though. I know he didn't make very much that last year, but you said, Scott, something about a, a $14 million contract he had? This or, year is the, is the franchise offer. That's the franchise tender, 14 mil, one year. I'm ta- he, earned that, he earned that this year after the year he had. And not yep. making the playoffs yet. That's a shame, you know, for uh, I, 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 I could. Well, there was a the hot San Francisco. Somebody mentioned San Francisco as a possible destination too. I can see that working out. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. They've got the, they had a their uh, franchise quarterback that uh, who they get from Alex Smith. Alex Smith, yeah, from Southern Cal or whatever. Yeah. That didn't work out. Well, and then you've also got wide receivers, Calvin Johnson, Steve Smith, and Brandon Marshall. I mean, those guys could get up there with Andre Johnson or, or and Randy Moss. You know, you got a lot of guys that, man, this will be one of the first rounds where you just – anything is possible. Yeah, I know Randy Moss would draw a lot more this year now. But, the, you know, I picked him first first round this year, uh, mainly on account of uh, – or the start of the second round. Yeah. I went with the... Well, Mike, let's uh, let's jump right into this. We had uh, – we had uh, – Louisville um, played UConn Monday night uh, in a game that uh, with four minutes to go in the first half, Louisville was up, I think, 25-24 range. And had just uh, pressed the nose or pressed the nose came up with a steal before that. And then Edgar Sosa came up with a steal with a dunk to T-Will. It really looked like the Cardinals are flying high with four minutes to go. And then uh, T-Will gets on the bench with two fouls. UConn goes 12 straight unanswered points with like an 11-point lead heading into halftime, and Louisville never could recover and, and couldn't, you know, bridge that gap. That 11-point lead just stayed there and hung around the whole game. They played them even the second half, uh, you know, got up there a couple of times, you know, stretched it up there a little bit. But for the most part, they played them even in the second half and then just got demoralizing in the end where they just couldn't put a, a, a dent in Hashim the beat. I mean, that yeah, guy. He, if there's a better player, a better defensive player in college basketball, I haven't seen him this year. That's He's just a take. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, him, he's a looking, at, looking at Louisville basketball, I, I'm very impressed. I'm thoroughly impressed. What they're doing, and you know, I'll be at the loss to uh, UConn. I mean, UConn's very good. You guys got to remember that they're very, very good team, but yeah. so is Louisville. So is Louisville. I mean, they got beat on their home court, but that's okay. Uh, you know, they can regroup because they've been through a windstorm of a lot of wins, left and right. Their defense is going to win games. The one thing, their Achilles heel could be free throw shooting. I mean, that sounds so simple and so stupid, but yeah. Free throw shooting could be the well, Achilles heel. But well, the bottom shooting, line is they've got an general, outstanding team. I, I think shooting in general is, is the weak spot for the Cardinals, and it's not just at the free throw line. It's it's, it's a little bit of everywhere, and that's three point that's shot really shot. that's really what our what the problem is with the Cardinals. But they they get they do so much hustling on defense, it makes up for a lot of the, the lack of offense. But when you get when you catch a team like UConn that eliminates the middle and and turns you into a shooting team, you have to be able to shoot because you cannot go inside. On a guy like Hashim Sabi. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Exactly. He, he played. He played 39 minutes. 
He was in there every single minute, just about 39 minutes. UConn had five guys who played 30 minutes, and so they didn't need depth against Louisville. They played their five guys, and pretty much that's it. They had one guy, other guy that had 20 minutes. That was about it. That's all you saw. And they held the fort down uh, against the Cardinals, who rotated in and out countless number of subs. Earl Clark was the only Louisville Taking Cardinal to have 20 minutes. Shot. That's where it's at. You know what? You know, Louisville has been through all the pro, uh, scouts that were there at that game. I think yeah. they had about 19 of them there, pro scouts that was there for that game. No, it was more than he, that. He Neil tried to show how he could shoot the three corner. Well, he didn't. If he <laughs> he sure didn't show much because I think he only hit one. <laughs> it, it was it was a lot more than that, Neil. I think it was like 33 pro scouts that were looking at not just Clark but uh, yeah. UConn and a couple others from uh, University University of Louisville. I mean, it was a great yeah. it was a great it, it was a great scenery uh, when I saw it on replay. Uh, and the one thing about it, Louisville has one of the best defensive schemes I've ever seen, and Rick Pitino puts that into play. Yeah, what do you think and, about that? Uh, 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 Jennings on the inside, he just seems like he's getting better and better every game. Yeah, yeah, he does. I mean, he blocked the beat several times. He got called for a foul one of those times, but he had two or three blocks on him too. And that that's what that's what Pitino does with the maturation of young players, just. You know, get them going, get them. So we'll see what happens. I mean, let's face it. What what's today? February sixth. I yeah. mean, we've we got a month to go till till we really get serious. Till we really get serious. One thing about it, Lowell was good, and they're going to be in there. And uh, I put them in the chase uh, to make it to the final. Four. I hate to say that, but I did. Well, yeah, they're, they're they're definitely in the chase. They're in the picture. They're in the discussion, but. It, the question is, can they can they win against a team like UConn? Hopefully, they don't have to. You don't always have to beat the best team to win the NCAA tournament. Right. You just have to, hopefully, we don't have exactly. to win <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. to avoid. Yeah, it's it's a team that does not match up well with Louisville. We cannot draw Hashim Thabit out of the middle without a big man that has a jumper, and that's what Heron Gody can do. That's what a lot of those big men can do. We don't have a big man with a jumper. We got Samardo Samuels. Terrence Jennings may develop one down the road. He doesn't have one. Uh, and, and, and pretty much Swalpshire, you know, he has some size on him. George Good has some size. But we don't have anybody to draw him out of the middle. So no, that's to probably what Earl up. Clark was doing, shooting all them threes out there. They might have been trying to draw their beat out there. That probably is what if he could have hit him, he would have drawn him out there. Well, he, he, he doesn't hit him. He's 2 of 16 from the field, 1 of 6 from the three-point line. <laughs> he, he had a, he, I don't like to see him. He doesn't him. hit him. <laughs> yeah, he he had a horrible night. I, I like the guy. I, I'm still banking on Earl Clark to, to be there for us. And, and to be honest with you, if Terrence Williams didn't have the hot shooting night that he had, we would have been beat by about 30. Oh, yeah. Terrence Williams had 26 points, 11 of 19, 3 of 3 from the three-point line. He was everything. And well, I'll, I'll say what I drew out of that game. I think that you got to get back on that on that Connecticut team because they're back. They're rushed down that floor as soon as that ball comes off the board. When they grab that rebound, he's ready to get that ball out, and they're off and running. Yeah. And they, they their whole the whole first half they had nothing but dunks and layups. Well, they they took Stan, they, they went ahead and benched Stanley Robinson, their forward, and they just played Dyson, Price, and Walker, all three guards, and all they did was dump it into Adrian and Fabit over and over and over again. And you had four players in double figures, and you know Adrian Adrian was very impressive, seven to twelve. I mean, and Fabit was impressive with four blocks. It seemed like he had twenty down there because there was just no way you could go inside. They had big guys look little against them. 
Yeah, they had 20 of 24 from the free throw line, Louisville 2 of 2. Yeah, they just got couldn't challenge, Mike. I don't, I don't know if you got to see the game or if you recorded it, but there was no – No, no I, I, watched, I watched the replays, and it looked like uh, this UConn team is a uh, – it's a men amongst boys. I, they were they were something else, and they didn't care if they were playing the Freedom Hall. They they didn't care if it was Harper, Connecticut, or freaking yeah. Nome, Alaska. I thought we made <laughs> a lot of uncharacteristic turnovers too. That we, uh, you know, they were un, you know unforced turnovers. Yeah, and the turnovers weren't bad. It was just the fact that it took us out of our offense. I'll tell you what, when we, we even, Mike, we tried to get op- to open shots and we couldn't get them. Their defense was tenacious, and so every time Jerry Smith tried to get a look, every time you could tell, Louisville said, I'm going to shoot the ball, get it, into one of our, get it into one of our shooters. And when we tried to do that, they were all over our guys, and you wow. couldn't go inside. So it was one of those games that said, man, we've got to go back to the drawing board. It was I thought it was almost like uh, if you tried to take a shot and you had none, you had no other options. Yep, and and it seemed like over and wow. over and over again we were forced into a bad shot. And unless yeah. T will, T will could make it and create his own shot, and they were going down. That, like I said, that's the only thing that kept us in that game in the second half was T will hitting long jumpers uh, that were that he just kind of created. Uh, but if it now, was for that. Samardo uh, Samuels looked like he was back in junior high, Mike. He 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 tried to go in a couple of times off the beat, and he and he really took advantage of him, and it and, and it scared Samuels so bad that it just took him out of his game and his rhythm. And every time he got the ball, he just got rid of it. He didn't even try to put back it out. out. That's all he did. What he just he threw it back out. Up with it. It was now I know you guys could hey, probably got... care less about uh, T. Will. Uh, down the road, but this guy has NBA written all I over him. So I too. think so. I think he's so impressed with him. Turned into a pro player. Yeah, yeah, he it's has Neil. I mean, he he just he he does a lot of things. He's got great court awareness, and you know that's what a lot of things uh, NBA scouts look at. Court awareness, he has that, and uh, I've he adjusts his game to whoever they're playing. You know, he adjusts whether yeah. they're hitting a score or a rebound or a sit, you know, or bring the ball up the court or drive with the ball. Or he seems like he can get a shot anytime he wants it. You know, I'm well, really Mike, we've only got uh, we've only got five minutes left. Let's move on to uh, obviously we've got Louisville. Uh, just real quick, a big game against St. John's on Sunday at one thirty, followed up with Notre Dame at Notre Dame on Thursday. Those will be a couple of tough games. Uh, but Mike, UK. Uh, they're in a row, they're in a row, baby. They got some Florida coming going, in. Some things aren't going well. You got Florida coming in on Tuesday, but you had three straight games, two of which were home games, Mississippi State, South Carolina, and Ole Miss, three straight losses. What's going on with Billy Gillespie? Yeah, i tell you what, uh, three in a row, uh, three losses in a row, and uh, plus the fact that Billy Gillespie goes uh, kind of nuts on the uh, at halftime to the uh, – do y'all get the feeling that he? I mean, I know they don't have a point guard. That's their problem. Uh, well, I tell you what. I, I tell you what. Here, here's what they need. They got they got Jody Meeks and they got Patrick Patterson that you know we've talked about before on the show. And uh, you know they do a great job, but uh, defenses are starting to uh, they're starting to angle out Jody Meeks. Making him right. DeAndre right. Liggins. He is he is the key guy for Kentucky. Liggins is the key guy. They've got to get this freshman to play, play like a sophomore, because so many times in college basketball, 
I mean, a lot of freshmen, by the time February and March hits, they play like a sophomore. They got to get Liggins to play like a sophomore. Uh, yeah. They went through a they went through you know, a good stretch and uh, made things happen, and just kind of got kind of lazy. Uh, Coach uh, Gillespie says, "Well, you know, we're we're still playing hard." I don't buy that. I don't buy that. You know, as good as, as, as big as, as that play. team is, you know, oh, they got a really big team. Kentucky is, and I mean, not the big players like your beat, but they've got a lot of big players, and the, I, I think they're the number or was before the other night the number one. Free throw shooting team in the nation, weren't they? Oh yeah, they make free throws left and right. Grabbing the ball, they make free throws. They they block shots. Perry Stevenson, I mean Perry Stevenson and Patrick Patterson, they can block shots. And plus, both of them big boys can make free throws. Jody Meeks, he rarely ever misses a free throw. It's just the turnovers in the first half. They got to control the game from the start, and they just, for whatever reason, they can't quite do that. And well. They're playing in the SEC, which is one yeah. of the weakest conferences. They've got to get it done right now. Well, they've, they've, they're definitely – when I looked at that – it's a couple of different games here that I saw. The Mississippi State game, they shot the lights out, 14-27 from the three-point line, and four guys – I mean, they had a, like a lethal five there. Those five guys played the whole game, and every one of them shot the three, it seemed like. They hit them all oh, they were Hey, Scott, they, they were shooting from three feet behind the three-point line. Yeah, and, but, and so that game, that game, you know what? I give them a pass on that game because when you run into a team that's shooting like that, not a lot you can you're do. Not win. The South Carolina game was a little more troubling for me because it saw. It kind of reminds me of Notre Dame. Two big players that are playing great. You know, you got uh, Notre Dame has those two guys, and Jody Meeks throws, throws up for twenty. Patterson they had twenty eight, and they still lost the game. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was an offensive rebounding. It was the glass. South Carolina owned them on the glass. Yeah. They had eighteen offensive rebounds. You can't. You can't give a team 18 off of the rebounds with second no, chances. No, what I credit that too, though. I think those players just, I mean, they're they're the they're the they are their team. Like uh, Heron Gody and and uh, what's the guard's name? Both of them boys play the whole game, and by the right. end of the game, they 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 don't have their legs anymore. Yeah, you can always see it right toward the last five minutes of the game. You know. But Kentucky in that in that South Carolina game, they shot 29 free throws, so it was a physical game. South Carolina brought them a physical game, and and Kentucky did their job. They hit their free throws, so I don't know. Well, there's you, you lose you know you lose that game because you didn't hit the offensive boards. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, they've got a lot of a uh, lot of issues to take care of. Uh, they got a lot of young things. Uh, Harrelson, for whatever reason, he wasn't in there, and uh, we got probably. About a minute ago, but uh, yeah. Harrelson, uh, he he wasn't in there. But I I would love to see Harrelson in there a little bit more, and see Liggins get his feet wet a little bit more than what he has been. But yeah. you know, I'm just talking as a fan. But uh, yeah. you know, there, there's a ton of talent on that team. They can make things happen uh, come March. Well, they're going to have to do a better job of hitting the glass because that was the story of the Mississippi game as well. They they got out rebounded forty two to thirty two and 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 I, I think other than that when I look at everything Kentucky's playing good ball they just gotta they've gotta be a little bit more physical and and you know like you said it's a two man game and that works for a while but when you give defenses enough time to game plan it it it, it, it doesn't uh, hold it yeah so guys, that won't work time. forever we're out of time uh, man it's been a, it's been an hour already man I don't know how we always you do it cover we, the draft 
we have a we have a couple of things we're going to talk about uh, next week. We're going to talk about Bob Knight and these rumors. We're going to talk about the Kobe and LeBron uh, at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, we're going to come back and talk that about awesome. that. And uh, I, I, we'll just hit that next week. But uh, you know, it's been a great time, and uh, we we just hope to do it again. So, Mike and and Dish, thanks for coming. Love on. it, man. My pleasure. Red versus blue. We'll we'll see you next week. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Beyond the palace, heavy power drones scream down the boulevard. Well, it's been red versus blue, Mike. Uh, it's been fun, and we'll, we'll we'll do it again next week. So I hope hope to hope to hear from you, and we'll 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 have another good show next week. I'm looking forward to it. All right, this is Red versus Blue Sports Talk Radio. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to Red vs. Blue Sports Talk Radio, where Planet Red and Big Blue Nation collide. With your hosts, Scott Atkins and Michael Trent. Please join us next time.